Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by Fenley Road Sports. My name's Bob. As always, I'm hanging out talking sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, how's it going? It's going good. Wish the rain would stop up here in Ohio, but other than that, it's going good. Yeah, I mean, you know what they say about Cleveland, you just got to wait. We actually have some some decent weather right now, like 10 degrees cooler, but we're not here to talk about the weather. We are here to talk about some sports, particularly uh, probably the biggest event of the summer, I would say, is the Women's World Cup, and we now have a final four teams, uh, the United States, Germany, Japan, and England, and Chris, you and I both had three of these teams picked to advance in our last podcast, England being the only one we didn't pick. Uh, what were your thoughts about the games leading into these? And then what do you like about these matchups? Well, my thoughts about the game is when you look at all the matchups, the only really lopsided one in the knockout round so far was Germany 4-1 over Sweden. All of these matches have been really, really close. Actually, you could also throw in France 3-0 over South Korea as another lopsided one. But other than those two, the round of 16 and the quarterfinals all the way around have been very fun and intense to watch. And I think that that's one of the biggest criticisms of the women's game is that there are a lot of lopsided victories, at least in tournaments past. I have not seen that this year. All the games that I have watched have been pretty close. That's not to say that there haven't been some lopsided victories because in a tournament like this, there always are. But I feel like this year in particular... There's a little more depth in the field, and you're seeing some teams kind of rise up and maybe not knock off the powers that be because the United States, Germany, and Japan are all pretty strong global powers, so they all made it to the Final Four. But England's a new face, even though they're not a new face in soccer, their women's team has not advanced this far. And you see some of these other teams push them, like Australia played a very competitive match against Japan, almost knocked them off. France came another world power who probably could have been a Final Four team if they didn't get Germany in the quarterfinals. Almost. I mean, they went to PKs. That was probably the match of the tournament so far. So my thoughts about all the matches leading up is that this tournament has been fun and entertaining and extremely competitive, and I'm extremely excited to see these two Final Four games. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, you did have some lopsided victories in the start. I think Germany scored 10 goals against the Ivory Coast or, or Costa Rica to start off the tournament. But since then, I mean, been really, really good games decided by three goals or fewer. Uh, this USA-Germany matchup, though, I am extremely excited for. I think if you are a fan of United States soccer and if, you know, your preference is to watch the men play more than the women. This game is going to be really good. I think it'll be the match of the tournament. Uh, like you said, that that France-Germany matchup with the PKs, that definitely was incredibly exciting. But just for me, as obviously a fan of the United States team, this this is what I, I want to see. And I'm incredibly excited to see this matchup tomorrow, uh, on Tuesday when it happens. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about that game? Well, yeah, these two teams have been on a collision course since the start of the tournament. Going into the tournament, we talked about it. The national people have talked about it. It's been Germany and the U.S. 1-2. Most people have Germany as one. They've been dominant throughout the tournament, but they were tested a little bit in the quarterfinals. You know, France could have won that match 
actually had that match won until they uh, lost down a, not on penalty kicks, but there was a goal kick in the match that Germany tied it on. So France easily could have won that match. So Germany finally looked a little vulnerable, but the United States, on the other hand, has looked vulnerable all tournament. Now, me, I don't know if that's just them getting a pretty tough draw because they beat a Colombia team that defeated France in the group stage 2-0 after Colombia lost its goalie to a red card, which was a big turning point in the match. So you could argue that the U.S. got maybe a little bit of good fortune there because Colombia was playing them very tough until that obviously changed the whole thing. And then China, I mean, the U.S. scored against China on a ridiculous goal, a very awesome goal, but that was another competitive match. And then, of course, the U.S. came out of the group of death, uh, two other top ten teams, and had to face the best player in the world. So it's been a tough go for the U.S. So I don't know if their struggles are because they aren't as good or if they're just facing really good competition and on the other hand, I don't know if Germany's looked at so dominant because they're just that good or they're not facing as strong competition. But you can't really say that about Sweden and France because they are also two of the better tournaments in this team. Yeah, certainly. I th- I think they both have had their fair share of tests and then easy matchups, relatively speaking, to the tournament. Uh, as As an American, as a fan of the U.S. team, I am comforted by the fact that their strength which is their back line and hope solo at goalkeep they've only let in one goal and they've had four straight clean sheets which is a, a international team record for them uh, that is functioning at the highest level that they could and, that, and that's great to go up against Germany with your strength at full strength uh, another thing that emboldened me a little bit is even though China, they only beat China one to nothing. I think that their attack was a lot more aggressive, and they had just a lot more cleaner opportunities to score more goals than just that one header, which was a which was a great play. I mean, there was a wide open kick that just went right over the goal. Like I don't know how she missed that one. Uh, there were a couple of other times where they they definitely had times to had chances to capitalize. Where I think in those previous four matchups, they, those just weren't there and they had to force and create opportunities out of, out of nothing. I think that that is good for them, but this Germany team is really good. And I think that they are clicking now in the knockout round, even better than they were in the group stage. So I really, it's going to be low scoring. I think uh, maybe a, a one, nothing or, or a two to one matchup. Uh, it, it's too close to call, but I know we're going to call it, but I, I'm really excited about it. I'm, I'm extremely excited about it. Yeah, so I, I think that this match, like you said, could be the match of the tournament. It certainly is on paper. You have two contrasting forces going here. Germany has that high-powered offense, and the United States has that shut-down defensive back line. So something's going to have to give, well, unless, of course, it's a nil-nil and they go into penalty kicks, but then Germany's offense would have given because it didn't score. But yeah, at the and- flip side, you have Germany's back line, which, you know, I'm not saying it's not good, but it's certainly a little bit weaker against the U.S. who, going into China, as you mentioned, had been struggling up front. So you kind of have two, two really good, really even matchups, and it's just going to be 
I mean, really, whichever one steps up and wins. I kind of disagree with you. I don't think a team like Germany is going to get shut out or shut down. I think the pressure will be on the U.S. offense to score probably two goals because I, I do think the Germans are going to score against the U.S. defensive set. I, I'm not saying that they're not good. I just think the Germans are that good, that they are going to score. So the U.S. US's offensive attack is going to have to look as good as it did against China and capitalize on more than just one of their opportunities. Yeah, well, to clarify, I never, I didn't, I wasn't saying it was going to be a one nothing U.S. victory. I thought, and you're right. If if anything, Germany will score the one goal, and U.S. will be too pressing to score their goal. But you're right, and uh, I wasn't too clear in what I was saying. But I, I don't know. I think I, I still stand on what I'm saying that it's going to be a low scoring matchup. That's what tends to happen, especially in these later rounds when. You know, nerves nerves get to these teams. We've seen it in the World Cup, uh, or in, in the men's World Cup the last couple of years. These games get really low scoring, and the the opportunities to create and get creative aren't there that are normally there in in a less high stakes game. So, I definitely think it's gonna be be low scoring just because in the past we 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 don't tend to see a, a three to two or a, a four to three match late late in the in the tournament gotcha so you would consider a 2-2 match high scoring at this point in the stage yeah yeah okay. i think that would be a, a lot of goals scored for for the final four see i'm kind of showing my soccer ignorance here because i still wouldn't put 2-2 on the high scoring side i think once once a team scores three it starts getting into high scoring that's kind of like my my line right there Oh, I, I definitely think if you know you go to see an exhibition or you go to see a league play game, uh, two goals each is probably low scoring. But when you're late in the tournament, I, goals are hard to come by, and and four goals to happen this late in the in the in a tournament between both teams would be I think would be a lot. All right. Well, I think the winner of this match is probably going to win the whole thing. Yeah, I they're definitely the favorite. You you do have the defending champ on the other side uh in Japan, so it's hard to say that definitively, but I I would definitely pick them as the favorite. Oh yeah, certainly whoever wins this match is going to be favored to win it all. I'm going to go one step further and say the winner of this match is going to win it all. Okay. So do you want to do you want to make your picks now? Do you want me to go first? Yeah, we might as well. All right. So I think uh I'm picking USA to beat Germany just because I feel like time and time again on this podcast, I'm always being the pessimist and I want to be the optimist for once. So I'm go USA. They're going to do it. And then Japan is my, is my other team that I think, well, like I just said there, you can't knock them out. They won the last tournament. I think they're going to handle England. England is a bit of a surprise in that quadrant it was kind of up in the air because those teams were all evenly matched. So it's not too surprising that they're here, but you know, like we said earlier, this is the first time they've been to the semis. So I'm picking Japan versus us in the final. And Hey, I'm going to pick the Americans again to win it all. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm not going to bail on my pre tournament prediction, which was the United States. I think the U S really wants to shake that unable to deliver a world cup from their resume. I mean, they haven't won the world cup since 99, the Germans have won. They've kind of they've they've won multiple World Cups since then. 
This is a big match for them legacy-wise. So I think the United States are going to come in with a little bit of an extra edge. I think that's going to bode well for them. I think they're going to beat the Germans and they'll beat Japan in the final because I agree England is a great story. I didn't realize they were the sixth-ranked team in the world, though. I didn't realize they were ranked higher than Canada because I saw that in the uh, quarterfinal match. So, both of the, I mean, England, that, that quadrant of the bracket certainly was the weakest quadrant. I think France, if they were in that quadrant, would have probably come out of it because France, unfortunately, had to play Germany in the quarterfinals just the way the groups shook down. But I think Japan will get through. It'll be a rematch of the last World Cup, and this time the United States will prevail and win, the, win its first cup, World Cup since uh, 1999. Awesome. Let's, let's hope it happens. I believe that we will win. I do too. I, I'm hoping I can watch the match on Sunday. I will be traveling back because I'm actually going to go be seeing a game in the Cincinnati Reds. In, uh, in the Cincinnati Reds, I'm going to see a Reds game in Cincinnati, and be driving back. So hopefully, I can get back in time for the match. Yeah, certainly. That's Great American going. Ballpark. I blanked on the name. Oh yeah. I could have answered that. For, I didn't know you were searching for it. I was searching for it a little bit there. I'm going to see the uh, the men's team play on, on Friday. They're oh. here in Nashville. They're going to play Guatemala. Nice. The, the men's team has done, the men's national soccer team has done very well in their friendlies of late. I believe they beat Germany in the friendly. Yeah, they beat Germany and the Dutch, I think. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But, uh, yeah, it's their last matchup but before the Gold Cup happens. So, hopefully, a lot of those guys will play. That'll always be fun. I do want to get to an international soccer match at some point in my lifetime. Yeah, I I want to say that they're really fun, but for reasons we won't talk about, I don't really remember the last one I went to. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. Um, Um, Well, on that note, we'll switch gears a little bit, I guess. Um, As most of you all know, there was another event going on on Thursday, the NBA draft, the 2015 NBA draft. Now, I watched up until the Cavs picked, and then I went to bed because I just kind of lost interest after the Cavs picked. I'll be full disclosure here. But I did watch most of the first round, and Bob, I must say, there really wasn't too many surprises. No, definitely not. I think that top 10, all the guys that were taken in the top 10, save maybe Kaminsky, were, were slated to go in that top 10. So it wasn't surprising. The order did, you know, there were a couple things that, that stood out to me. The first one, the first domino, I think, was the Lakers picking D'Angelo Russell and then putting the 76ers in, in that bind. Uh, what, did, what did you think about Okafor, the third center in three years, drafted in the top 10 by the Sixers? Yeah, I think it was the right pick because you can't pass on Okafor. I don't know why the Lakers did I think the Lakers have a trade up their sleeve. I just, I don't know for sure, but I don't know why they passed on Okafor. I was not super high on D'Angelo Russell as an Ohio State fan. I saw him play a lot, and every time I saw Ohio State play, I clearly saw that he was the best player. I just never thought lottery pick when I saw him play. Now, that's just me. You know, it's one guy's opinion. He could be great. Who knows? But I certainly wouldn't have passed on Jaleel Okafor in that position. So the 76ers did a great value pick. Because I think that after Okafor, there were just a bunch of other guys with a lot of potential. But I think Okafor is going to be a legitimate 
NBA player for the next, you know, probably 10 years. And I think I said that about Carl Anthony Towns too. I don't think the Timberwolves could have gone wrong with either of those guys. And so if you're the 76ers and you have a player like that on the board, you take him, even if you have Noel and Embiid. Now, don't let the faults of your last draft, and I'm talking about Embiid because I don't think the Noel pick was bad, haunt you for this draft. You now have some valuable options, either in a trade, either in a insane three-man post-rotation if Embiid gets <laughs> healthy. But, but Embiid can stretch. I mean, he's not just a center. I, 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 they said that when they drafted him, he could play power forward. So he is the one guy who can play on the floor with them. The problem is Okafor and Noel, I don't know how those two are going to play on the floor together because neither of them are really stretch big men. Yeah, certainly. And... You know, for all purposes, Embiid is still a great unknown. He's yet to play even summer league in the NBA, and this is going on year two. So it, you have a big question mark at center still. Get the sure thing. Take take Okafor. On the Los Angeles Lakers side, I think that they, they're just going for flash over substance. I mean, I think Russell definitely has a place in the league as a scorer, there's a lot of deficiencies on the defensive end, on the consistency of his jump shot. To pass up on a guy like Okafor, who, you know, we talk about Towns and Okafor like they are going to take the league by storm like maybe Andrew Wiggins did last year or, you know, LeBron or Carmelo Anthony. Centers take time, and it's going to take a full, at least at the shortest, three years to see whether or not these guys are worth the number one or the number three pick. Just look at Anthony Davis, who went from raw and talented to third best player in the league in three years. So it's going to take time, and I don't think the Lakers want to wait that long. They're not patient enough. They're talking about you know a DeMarcus Cousins trade. Didn't they just trade for a volatile, emotional center uh, four years ago? And look where that what that got them. So they're not interested in waiting and, and going through a process when they have Kobe Bryant uh, his time is limited, so that they're they're all in on now. And for that, in for that purpose, I think Russell is the most ready of those of the top ten that was taken. He's gonna get inserted, and he's just gonna be able to score the ball. You're gonna get a lot of deficiencies with him on the court, but everybody else is kind of a work in progress. So I, that's where I understand the Lakers pick. And that, like you said, there's probably is a trade angle for Cousins, but. Uh, as Russell stands going to the Lakers, that's where I understand that. Well, first off, if the Lakers are listening to Kobe Bryant at all, they're fools. Because after this year, he's probably not going to be in the league. I mean, when his contract's up, he's probably going to retire. Because I don't think the Lakers want him hanging over their franchise because he's not the same guy. And I'm not saying he's not a great player. He's going to the Hall of Fame. He's an all-time great. But the player he is today is not that player. He's He's been injured every year f- for the last two or three years. He's not the same guy. And I'm not saying that I don't want him on the team this year. I certainly think that Lakers are better with him than without him, given what they have. But if you're making decisions based on Kobe Bryant, that's, that's just not smart. Well, I don't think they're letting Kobe Bryant dictate who is going to be on the team but you're paying this guy 25 million dollars they see that they need to w- try and win with him 
or something like that. That's the only logical explanation I can see for them taking Russell over Okafor. No, yeah, and I do agree with you. Towns and Okafor will probably have more of a development curve just because that's generally the recipe for the big man. Anthony Davis is a great comparison development-wise. Everyone, I'm not saying those two are on his level because I think Anthony Davis opened even more eyes when he came out of the of, of college. He was the clear-cut number one pick, and it wasn't even a question. And so, I, I'm not, I'm not, we're not comparing those two to Anthony Davis, but development-wise, they are going to take along that track. It would be surprising if either of them came in and you know dominated right away. If they did, that's certainly a very good sign for the Timberwolves and the 76ers, of course. Yeah. So I think we're in ingredients. The Lakers did a bad job. The 76ers for you, were they a winner or a loser? I mean, I can't say they're a loser because they took the best guy. But I think that overall they're a loser because they screwed up last year and generally just have screwed up for the last two years <laughs> in trading – Michael Carter-Williams and not getting anything this year in return. So, yeah, they're a winner. They've won this battle, but if we're scoring the war, they're still very far behind. Yeah, they're I, and for for me, they're a winner by default. They they fell into having absolutely having to take Okafor. If they didn't, I I think I think that would have been you know. The straw that broke the camel's back. I know some. I know you and a lot of people have already, you know, jumped off that train years ago. But if they if they pass up on Okafor after he falls to them at three with Embiid and his foot, uh, oh my goodness, that would have been ridiculous. But I think that's as close to you saying the 76ers did a good job with personnel that I'll get on this podcast. Oh, I thought that when they traded for Noel, I thought that was a great move two years ago. Because Noel would have been the number one overall pick had he not torn his ACL. I thought that was a great value move. They traded Drew Holiday for him on draft day. And they got him, stashed him, and then tanked so they could get another number one overall pick. And I thought, yes, this is a smart plan. And then they drafted another center. And I just, I didn't like Embiid even before his foot issues came out. And now they drafted a guy with foot issues that they knew about on draft day. And they potentially squandered a top three pick that they could have used to pair with Noel and Michael Carter Williams, and possibly have that foundation already in place. Yeah, who knows what they're doing? They're crazy. But let's not focus too much on the 76ers. There's a lot else to talk about in the 2015 NBA draft. Let's go right down to number four, the New York Knicks. Man, is Phil Jackson pulling a Mike Holmgren? Oh yeah, definitely. I. His whatever he's doing is is a joke. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I are they they're paying him 15 million dollars a year? I believe is that. Do you know if that's right? I don't know if that's right off the top of my head, but they're it, paying him a lot of money. They're paying him a lot of money, and he took Kristaps Porzingis. I mean, my goodness, what what a bad pick. I I mean, some I I keep reading that this guy is the number one player in the draft supposedly some scouts believe that I absolutely cannot and do not believe that. And I know I, I've only gone off of what I could find on YouTube of this guy, but if you watch a, a video of Carl Anthony towns playing, 
then you watch a video of Kristaps Porzingis playing. There's no question. There's there's no question that Towns is a better player than this guy. And that's not. I'm not being stereotypical towards Euro players. It's just you got a tall, skinny, slow-footed Porzingis, and then you have Carl Anthony Towns, who is just an athletic beast. And that it's that simple. So I have no idea what they're doing. I I, I think that you agree with me. Oh, I definitely agree with you, and I am being biased towards Euro players because since 2000, they said this at the NBA draft, the only two Euro players to be drafted in the lottery and make an all-star team are Pau Gasol and Dirk Nowitzki. Now, I do think Jonas Valanciunas for Toronto will maybe break that and add to that because he is having, he is developing very strongly up there in Canada. Sure. But still, I mean, that's even if you even if he adds to that list, that's only three guys. And if you expand it to all international players, the only other guy who gets added to that list is Yao Ming. So yeah, it's fair to be biased against international players because overwhelmingly, when you take them in the lottery, they don't pan out. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those cases of every once in a while you're you're sifting through. All, all the prospects, the people that have entered the draft, and then you fall upon this European player and you think that you have beat the system, that you cheated, and that you know something that everyone else doesn't. But it's just it just doesn't work out the way that it's planned. And that's not to say that this guy isn't going to pan out, but the the deck, it, it's stacked against him. And the, the likelihood of him working out, especially the big guys, I mean – how many seven feet foot Europeans are drafted in that lottery that just aren't that good? It it's it's a high number. It's countless players. I don't have the stat, but it's a lot. And I just wouldn't do it. I would take a guy who developed in college. It seems like those guys have a better chance of panning out. If you wanted to take a big guy, well Willie Cauley Stein's a different kind of big guy, but I thought that was great value for Sacramento. I've said it on my blog that I thought he was the best player behind Okafor and Towns. I think that he can come in and become a defensive anchor for years to come. I thought that was one Jalen Rose comp that he got right. He compared him to Tyson Chandler. I think he could be a lot like Tyson Chandler, a defensive anchor, strong rebounder, needs to work a little bit on his offense, but he's athletic enough to stay on the floor in the NBA that is going away from the centers, you know, Golden State. Obviously not playing a true center in the NBA Finals, electing to sit Andrew Bogut and win with their power forwards shifting in and out of that position. So I think Willie Cauley-Stein was a great find for Sacramento. I thought New York could have taken him, uh, Moutier, or Justice Winslow. I thought that they were going to go in any of those directions, or they should have. I didn't. I, it became pretty clear that they were going to take Porzingis because people were starting to tweet about it and sources and stuff like that. But... I thought they'd do better with Emmanuel Mounier, but I, I also thought, to be fair to the Knicks, that that trade they made for Jerron Grant was a solid trade. Yeah, that definitely worked out, and Jerron Grant, I think, is more ready to to play and, and contribute minutes than, than most of the guys in the first round. So that's definitely a good a good move by them, not a franchise changer like they could have done with, with the number four pick, but yeah, that was a good, smart move to trade for him. You know uh, who I – we just talked about Euro players, but the guy that went right after Porzingis, Mario Hezonja, I, he's actually pretty legit. I don't know if you – have you seen anything about this guy? 
I saw his highlights on draft day, but I'll admit, I haven't seen him play, so I don't know. It's funny how the Knicks take a Euro, and they're getting crushed for it. Then one pick later, the Magic take a Euro, and they're not really getting any flack. Like, a lot of people think this guy is going to be a pretty legitimate NBA player. Yeah, I think he, if anything, he is going to be a a scorer. With He has got a good jump shot, and... I watched some highlight reels, man. He's got some some vicious dunks on on the web. If you want to check him out, <laughs> like, I, I I just googled him because of all the guys I didn't know much about him, and I, I was watching him this morning, and I think he's actually has a ch- better chance than Porzingis of of making it because he's he's ten times more athletic than Porzingis, and I think for that Orlando Magic lineup now you got Alfred Payton and Victor Oladipo two guys without a jump shot that are great athletic defenders. And now you have this guy, uh, Hazonja, who is six, eight, he can play shooting guard or small forward. That's actually a really good young perimeter in, in, in Orlando. Yeah. He was only one of three euros drafted in the first round and five international players. If you count Moody, being from the Congo Dominican Republic clash Congo. Yeah. I, I mean, I think for all purposes, Moutier is more American in terms of his basketball history. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like some some years where you have just Euro players dominating the back top ten. But which surprises because a lot of the teams like to take Euros and stash them for cap purposes. That's why a lot of Euros go in the back end of the first round. It's not really. They just want to burn the draft pick without having to lock themselves into a guaranteed salary. That's why the Cavs traded Tyus Jones to the Timberwolves, which I thought was an excellent trade for the Timberwolves. I think the Timberwolves are one of the big winners in this draft because if Towns develops and they already have Wiggins and now you have Tyus Jones as your point guard and your number three option, that could be a really strong team in the next three years. Definitely. They they are very young and very talented. And I think a lot of people recognize that and expect big things from the Timberwolves in probably two years or so. And for now, for the time being, Tyus Jones gets to back up Ricky Rubio, who has you know tons of injury issues. And they're probably going to move on from Rubio at some point. So Jones is ready to, to step in at any point. That's a really good young, uh, young team over there. And Zach Levine's there too. I mean, I don't know much about him other than he can dunk a lot, but it's a good, they have a good young core. And for the Timberwolves to take advantage of the Cavs not willing to spend on a point guard who I think they should have kept uh, was, it was a great move. Oh, yeah, I thought that they should have kept him too. I loved it when the Cavs picked him, but I certainly understand why they didn't keep him because they're, they've got their sights on bigger fish. I think the Cavs are going to be doing some other moves this summer. So... This is just the first step for them. I think with the Brandon Hayward contract, that's one of the more interesting storylines going into NBA free agency. We'll get to a few other ones first or later. But the other one I really wanted to talk about was Bobby Portis landing on Chicago. An interesting pick. Don't question the value, but Chicago now has five post players. Do you see a trade in their future? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people were surprised that uh, Taj Gibson wasn't moved before the deadline this year so I think that almost certainly signals that he's moving on I think that's whoever is able to swing that trade with the Bulls to get Gibson depending on what they give up 
I think that would be a really good move to, to acquire Gibson. Uh, it's pretty clear that he's the one on the way out. And if you add in a guy like, uh, what was it? Doug McDermott. Cause he's more, he's a small forward, but he's slow enough to play power forward. They have six guys really that, that they've invested in to play in that low post. I think Portis is great and was a great pick for anybody that late in the draft, but yeah, it, it all but signals that one of those guys is getting moved. And I, I wonder if that hurts their value. I don't know if it hurts their value. Well, first off, I don't think it's going to be Noah or Gasol. I think it's probably going to be either Mirachik or most likely Taj Gibson. He's the one that makes the most sense. Why would you trade the number two rookie of the year, the second year? So I, I think it's probably going to be Taj Gibson. But whatever happens, I think the Bulls are making a move. And they really need to because this team has been the, about the same for the last five years. And all it's gotten them is uh, crashing into the LeBron James wall year after year after year. So they do have to shake things up just a little bit to see if they can get past that. Yeah, certainly. All right, let's talk about my favorite loser. Well, and th- this is uh, a, a dual award that I'm going to give to the Charlotte Hornets and the Boston Celtics. Uh, you know, I emailed you this earlier, but most people uh, – most sources say that the Celtics were desperately trying to get into the top 10 to take justice Winslow, which is a, an admirable goal and, and definitely a, a player that the Celtics needed, but word on the street is they offered the Hornets six draft picks for those first rounders and at least two of those unprotected without any restrictions. And the Hornets said no. So they could take Frank Kaminsky, who I think will be will work out well in, in Charlotte because you have, the offense of Frank Kaminsky stretching it out. And then you have big Al Jefferson down low. That's a good one, two combo in Charlotte, but man, six draft picks for, 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 for Kaminsky. I don't know if, that, if that's worth it. And then the Celtics to just to do that, to offer that amount, it was mind blowing. And and Danny Ainge himself said that they got carried away. So I think they're, they're both losers. And then for the Celtics, to, they they desperately tried to trade in. They didn't get anything. And then at 16, they take Terry Rogier, who you and I both really like because the three of us, we all went to Shaker Heights together. Well, not together, but we're all alumni from Shaker Heights. Uh, so we, we do like Terry Rogier, and I think he is a great player. But now the Celtics have him, Marcus Smart, who they drafted in the top 10, Avery Bradley, Isaiah Thomas, and I'm missing one other guy that's on that roster all five of those guys need playing time. All five of those guys do one thing really well and everything else not so well. So now you, they have a, a ton of point guards and shooting guards, but I don't think any of them, I would be challenged to rank them one through five, and I don't, I don't know where to begin with them. So the Celtics are just confusing me all night. It's the small ball era of the NBA, but the Celtics seem to be taking this to the extreme. Oh, because they took R.J. Hunter in the 28th pick, shooting guard. So that's the fifth guard. So, so you got- I, I really thought they were going to take Sam Decker at the pick. That pick made sense. He would bring some shooting, a little more size. I thought that that was where they were going to go with that. When they took Rogier, I like Rogier, as you said before, but it just, as you said, it made no sense. I mean, they got Smart, they got Bradley, got Isaiah Thomas. I mean, it doesn't fit with the team that they're that they have so that was a head scratcher i can't say the boston celtics are losers 
well, for the trade, because Charlotte said no. Charlotte let them off the hook. Charlotte had Boston on the loser hook, but decided to take them off and jam it into their own guts. Because how do you turn down six draft picks, four first-rounders, two unprotected first-rounders to take Frank Kaminsky? I like Frank Kaminsky. He was one of my sleepers. But my goodness, man, he is not worth four first-round draft picks, two of them unprotected. Are you insane, Charlotte? You... You had a chance to really load up on some assets. I don't understand why they said no to that trade. Because I would have been like, done. It's over. You can have whoever you want. Just That's a ridiculous haul for the number nine pick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, the only two other instances I'm reminded of are both happened in football. Uh, Chip Kelly supposedly offered basically half of his team to draft Mariota in the last draft and then... You know, Mike Ditka with his entire draft to draft uh, Ricky Williams is the only thing I can think of that was this large for a team to draft a rookie for for it just to be draft pick swapping. Like, that's a ridiculous number, and I I, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, whoever the GM, I know obviously Michael Jordan's involved, but whoever the GM is in Charlotte, I mean, do you really want to hang your your career on Frank Kaminsky? I don't know if he's the guy that you want to go all in on which is essentially what the Hornets did by denying that trade. No, certainly not. The other one that comes to mind, not as extreme, but the RG3 trade, Washington gave up a lot. They gave up, I think, three first-round picks to move up and take him. Now, that's a little bit different because RG3 was a quarterback, a little bit more of a sure thing, but we see that that trade is really working out for St. Louis. And yeah. We'll talk about the NFL later, but they're certainly a team to watch in the 2015 season. Yeah, but, hey, do you have any other thoughts on the draft? Anyone else that you wanted to bring up? Um, well, we did mention Justice Winslow. I thought it was surprising that guys kept passing on him. I mean, he, to say he fell is a bit of an understatement. I think he went maybe three spots lower than what we thought, number 10 to Miami Heat. But for the Heat to get a guy like Winslow, who uh, is definitely dynamic, definitely athletic, I think that's a really good move for the Heat, who don't really have a lot of flexibility to ability to add more playmakers. So I thought that was probably the best steal of the first round. What about you? I think Winslow landed in a perfect spot, especially now that Luol Dang opted in. They are, we'll get to this in a minute. This could be a nice transition, but if the Heat bring back all their players, there's no pressure on Winslow to start. He'll be coming off the bench. I think that's a great situation for him. That's why I wanted Kaminsky to fall too. I think coming off the bench would have been a better situation for Kaminsky while he kind of gets adjusted to the NBA. I, I think Charlotte might put a little too much pressure on him. I still like him as a player. I think he he can develop into a fine pro. But I think I would have liked it a little bit better if he landed on a team like Atlanta or Washington or someone who wasn't going to put top 10 pressure on him right away. But sort of transitioning into free agency, since we're talking about the Heat, they're one of the big teams to watch in free agency with Goran Dragic and Dwayne Wade testing the market. The sense is that Dragic is probably going to come back because the Heat are going to offer him what he wants. What about Dwayne Wade? Do you think that he could actually leave Miami? I think it's possible. I, I really do think it's possible. I I really don't know what is the agent feeding stories about, you know, working Miami to get his deal and what is, you know, actual truth about 
Wade just being upset with how Miami keeps asking him to give and give and give. And now that he wants to take, they're just not budging a, a single inch with him and his contract. Uh, I think it's possible. I think in all likelihood, the Heat are going to cave in and give him his $20 million a year that he wants. Uh, just because I can't imagine the Heat being able to sell losing LeBron and Dwayne Wade in two consecutive off seasons. Yeah, that's tough selling your fan base. The only way you get over that is if you win immediately, as in not just limp into the playoffs as the eighth seed. You got to be a top four team if you which make I, that cut. Which I don't think they would be able to do without Dwayne Wade. They're close to the cap even without him, I believe. I mean, they're going to have two max contracts on the books in, in Bosch and, and Dragic, plus a lot of other high deals. I don't think they have a lot of flexibility to to replace Wade with a, a, the, with a, a comparative talent. No, certainly. And then a little more pressure gets on Winslow because not that he's a two guard, but he certainly will be playing more minutes if Dwayne Wade isn't there. I think Dwayne Wade stays because I think Dwayne Wade wants to finish his career with the same team. I think the Heat want him to as well. I think it gets worked out. And if Dwayne Wade stays, the Heat certainly become a team to watch in 2015 and the 15-16 season. Certainly they're a team to watch because because they added Dragic, because Bosh, Wade, Dragic, and Dang, and Hassan Whiteside. That's a great that's a great lineup. I think to say that Winslow is going to push him over the edge is is way overvaluing what Winslow is as a 19-year-old. But definitely in the weak East, they almost made the playoffs. If they're completely healthy for 82 games, certainly they're going to make some noise with that unit playing 82 games together. Well, they're not going to be completely healthy for 82 games, but hopefully the unit actually plays together. I don't think Drogic, Wade, Bosch, and Whiteside ever played together, which is why I think that they are going to be a stronger team when that unit finally gets a chance to play together. I'm not saying Winslow's the savior. I think the fact that the four of them are finally going to play together with Luol Dang is going to make them sort of vault into the playoff conversation. And I think they'll be hovering around that top four. Again, if they can avoid a disaster injury with those guys, there are going to be injuries. It's yeah. just a matter of avoiding the Chris Boss situation or something like that. Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's move to the big discussion up top. You know, you have some highly coveted free agents. We're going to rule out uh, Dwayne Wade because we just talked about him. Let's rule out LeBron James because his opt-out is just a formality. Uh, the top free agents are probably LaMarcus Aldridge and Marcus Uh Who would you rather uh, have? Who's more likely to resign with their team and who's going to move? Well, I think Gasol is more likely to stay in Memphis than Aldridge because everyone seems to be saying that Aldridge is gone. So if we're saying who's more likely to leave, I'm betting Aldridge. Not that I would be surprised if Gasol left either, but I think Gasol seems like he would be a little bit, he, it seems like he wants to stay in Memphis. So I'd be a little surprised if he left. As far as no. who would I rather sign, I'd probably go with Aldridge because he's a little more dynamic and younger yeah uh you know it, it's hard to compare because Gasol is a pure center Aldridge is is a is a power forward who could shift over to center in a smaller lineup I think I would rather have Gasol just the defensive anchor that you have he's got enough offensive skills to not jam your offense so I, I would go Gasol and I agree with you Gasol has been 
living in Memphis since 2001. He played there. He played high school ball there. It, it would take a lot for him to leave. And it's not like the Grizzlies are worse than any other team that he would be leaving to that can offer him a max contract. So I, I, I'm almost certain that Gasol is going to stay. And apparently Aldridge is on the move. He's, he's not coming back to the trailblazers. I think he is going to the Spurs. See, that's going to be tricky. They're going to have to do some creative accounting to do that because they got to pay Kawhi Leonard this year. And of course, Tim, I think Tim Duncan is willing to take a pay cut by reports but that's going to be a little interesting to see if they can get Aldridge under their cap. Yeah, I it, it will be interesting if Aldridge wants it to happen. I'm pretty sure they'll be able to make it work out and not sacrifice a whole lot. But I think that's where he's going to end up. And I think it's the smartest move for him if he's not going back to Portland. His suitors, I think the, the list I read was the Lakers, which why would you ever want to go there? That's awful. Um and then you have the three Texas teams and Aldridge is from Texas. You have the Mavs, the the Rockets and the Spurs. Why would you not go to the Spurs? I mean, it's, it's perfect. It's perfect oh, for it's, anybody. It's perfect. And if he goes to the Spurs, I mean, how do you not make them number one in the West? If he goes to the Rockets, even, I mean, him with Dwight Howard and James Harden, you gotta think that they're going to be, pretty strong they were number two in the west without him i would think that that would be enough to get them up to number one because golden state's not going to win 67 games next year they're going to come back down to earth they can still win 60 but i just don't think that they're going to win like 67 that's that's a pretty tall order to ask of any team so yeah certainly i think Marcus aldridge is going to shift the nba dominoes somehow because i think marcus all is going to stay in memphis as well i'd be pretty surprised if he left but Speaking of Memphis, there's a rumor out there that the Grizzlies are trying to trade for Joe Johnson away from Brooklyn. Bob, what do you think about that potential deal going down? Uh, it's I don't I don't think it's gonna have much of an impact at this point. Joe Johnson is coming off his max contract that he signed five four years ago, so he's got one or two more years left. And I don't he's not he's not a max player anymore. He's I'm not I'm not too sold on it, and I pretty I. I'm pretty sure it's, it was a preliminary discussion. The Grizzlies are every year they, they trade for and add a perimeter player to give them some scoring and it just doesn't really work out. Um, it would be certainly an upgrade depending on what they gave up for him. But uh, I I don't think it would be a, an impactful power shift in the West if they added Joe Johnson. I'm going to slightly disagree with you because, well, I agree that they've added perimeter players. They haven't added a perimeter player anywhere near Joe Johnson's caliber, even this point in his career. This could give them what they need, what they hoped uh, Jeff Green was going to be. This could give them that scoring that they have really absolutely positively needed for the last few years. And you pair him with an already solid defensive team I'm not saying it would make them the favorites in the West, but it certainly would make them a stronger team in the West. So I'd like the move. I think it's probably the best they can do to get the kind of scorer they need. Because Joe Johnson can still take over a game in that regard. He's the closest thing that they're going to get to that. So I wouldn't mind the move for them. I think that they should do it if they don't have to gut their roster to get him. Yeah, it would be interesting. It would be nice if they actually did get a guy that could score on the perimeter. They always seem to fall short when they trade for one. 
What about uh, DeAndre Jordan? Where do you think he's going to end up? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I mean, he's certainly going to test the waters. There's been rumors that he's interested in the Mavericks and the Clippers. So if it's between those two, I'd probably just stay in L.A. because I feel like the Clippers are closer than the Mavs to contending. Yeah, I do too. And obviously they can they can pay him about you know closer to $20 million more than the Mavs. Uh, it'll be interesting because is DeAndre Jordan really a max player in your book? No. Yeah, I don't think so either. So I think his value is is maximized only in L.A. because that's the only situation where you've seen it maximized. Him playing with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin gives him the freedom to be a, a what is now a max player. I don't think he's going to be the same player if he goes somewhere else. No, certainly not, but... If LA isn't offering in the max and somebody else does, he's going to walk because he's going to, this is probably his best chance to get a really big paycheck. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I I have a problem paying a max contract to any dude that can't hit 50% of their free throws. Yes. But it it happens all the time. So I can't really uh, hold. (laughs) I would be a bad GM, I guess, if if that was my rule. Well, there are a few exceptions. I think Dwight Howard's an exception. Yeah, I I guess so. I mean, he he. The more I see it, the more the the more time goes by, the more of a head case Dwight seems to be. Now that's certainly true, but he is a very impactful player when he has it on straight. I mean, he's he carried that he helped carry that Magic team to the finals, and when he's on, he's one of the best players in the league. It's just a matter of him being consistent. Yeah, definitely. Um, what about some, some lower, we, you know, we mentioned the guys that are probably going to come in max contracts. Uh, what about some guys that are lower on the list of free agency? What, who are your values or or your guys that, uh, are deserving of some attention as well? Well, if the Spurs go after Aldridge, it's likely that some of their other guys on the bench will be squeezed out. And that could be Danny Green. I think he could be a very strong value guy. He's a solid three and D at the two. So if he lands on a championship contender, he would be a very fine role player. And Paul Millsap, too. I think Paul Millsap certainly is a strong role player. You saw it all year for the Hawks, except in the Eastern Conference Finals. But I think the Hawks maybe asked him to do a little too much. If he lands on a championship team that maybe already has one or two superstars in place and he doesn't have to be a huge part of that team, just more of a role player, type guy he'd be an excellent value yeah paul Millsap has is very it's still even after uh the way the season ended he's still an underrated player he can do a little bit of everything is quick enough on his feet where he can at least attempt to guard some small forwards we saw obviously well who can really guard lebron so i won't knock that against him but yeah paul Millsap is is a great player uh, I think he's elevated his game and the attention on him to this point where he's going to get a lot of money, maybe a little bit too much for what he actually is as a player. But, yeah, he he's definitely on my list. A couple other guys, Greg Monroe from Detroit, signed the one-year deal last year so he could uh, be an unrestricted re- free agent. Uh, this year, obviously, he's leaving Detroit. He's a really good player, and... Uh, obviously he's been unhappy the past couple of years in Detroit. So I wonder if that's impacted his game a little bit, but I, I think he will definitely be an impact player that could 
probably do just about the same amount of stuff that DeAndre Jordan can. So I think he's a guy to look out for. And then another Atlanta Hawk, Damari Carroll, is the perfect specimen of what teams look for now as a small forward. They want 3 and D, high athleticism, can do a little bit of everything, guard multiple positions. Carroll definitely elevated his game and really the amount of money he's going to command in the offseason with the season he just had. Uh, he's definitely going to be an impact player that uh, is going to command a lot of money in the, in the in free agency. Those are very good options. It'll be interesting to see where Greg Monroe lands and if he can shake up a little bit of the power structure in either conference. Interesting situation brewing out of Chicago, too. Jimmy Butler is a free, uh, restricted free agent, so the Bulls are going to keep him. But there's a rumor that he wants to go to L.A. or at least get off of Derrick Rose's team, and there's a rumor that he might bet on himself again and sign a one-year deal so he could be a free agent next year to get out of Chicago. Yeah, I read that too. Um, that's interesting. That's very interesting for a guy who uh, could make $90 million this year or he could bet on himself and make a little bit more. I'm really curious to see about this free agency because you know LeBron did this last year and I think he elevated the issue in, into everyone's minds that the cap is going to take a hike next year. And there are some guys like LeBron in that upper level who are afforded the luxury of being able to opt out every year now and command the maximum amount of dollars afforded them. But I think there's a tier right below them that they need to take their money. Like Jimmy Butler, I, was it a fluke last year? Cause I mean, Jimmy Butler came onto the scene out of nowhere and has had injury issues. Is it really smart to bet on yourself like that? Not completely out of nowhere. He had been bubbling up, but I agree with the injury issues part. That's the thing. I, if I'm Jimmy Butler, I take the money because he got hurt even last year and he came back for the playoffs. So it's a little bit more of a risk if you're Jimmy Butler to do that one-year deal. I would take the money. $90 million's a lot of dollars. Chicago's not that bad of a situation. I'd do it. And, I mean, Derrick Rose, when his contract's up, might not be there. So I, I would stay and take the money if I'm Jimmy Butler. I don't think that there's... I obviously don't know what his relationship with Derrick Rose is, but if I were him, I'd take the money. Yeah, me too. It's going to be really interesting. I think you're going to see a lot of shorter deals, guys you know, licking their chops, trying to get a, a, a bigger piece of the pie when the pie is larger in a couple of years. And I'd, I just wonder if it's the smartest move because... One, you're you're saturating the market in those years for the for the dollars, and two, I mean, not everybody. If LeBron tore his ACL in October, knock on wood here, he would still command a max contract with Cleveland next year, be because he's LeBron, because of what he means to Cleveland. Not that doesn't happen with just about anybody else. If if you have a season-ending injury, a terrible injury. I mean, you have no leverage. You have absolutely no leverage. And I don't think it's smart for guys like Butler. Uh, you know, Monroe took the risk just to get out of Detroit. But you're, you're you're taking a huge risk. You're talking about almost a $100 million swing that is probably working against you. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of deals are signed this offseason. No, certainly. That's one of the more fascinating storylines of this free agency that – Finally gets underway on July 1st. We are getting low on time here, so we're going to transition to a couple quick hits. Shout out to Jordan Spieth, won the second major of 2015 
and could possibly win golf's grand slam. So very awesome stuff. We're a little late on that, but good job, Jordan Speed. The second name yeah. got the Masters, now the US Open. It's playing great golf. I'm excited. I might I, I I'm not a huge golf guy. I do watch it sometimes, but I might make it more of a point to watch the Open or AKA the British Open in a couple weeks just to see if this guy can maybe add the third under his belt. And of course, Wimbledon, two of my favorite weeks in sports. I love watching tennis and Wimbledon's probably my favorite tournament. A lot of things to watch. Serena Williams chasing down the Grand Slam this year. She could, I believe, complete her second Serena Slam and have three out of four going into the U.S. Open. That would be a huge storyline for an American tennis player to come into the U.S. Open with a chance to win the Grand Slam. And, of course, on the men's side, Andy Murray trying to represent his country and win another Wimbledon. But, of course, Novak Djokovic, number one player in the world, also trying to add to his hall of many Grand Slam trophies. Excuse me, And can Roger Federer do one last gasp and maybe go out on top at the place he's dominated so thoroughly. So a lot of storylines for Wimbledon, a lot of storylines in golf coming up. So a couple of other sports, uh, you know, having, having some uh, time in the spotlight. What do you, what do you think of either of those, Bob? Well, Jordan Spieth is awesome. I'm, I'm like you, man. I'm going to tune into some golf when when the Open happens, so that'll be fun to watch. And then Wimbledon, I, I like it too. I, I, I really like watching it. Uh, I don't watch tennis as much as you, but Wimbledon is, re- is definitely something I like to check out, and it'll be cool to see those big guns all there you know, going for their own legacies and that. So, yeah, it'll be fun to watch. Definitely a lot of exciting diversity coming in the summer in terms of sports. Certainly, we got the World Cup. We got we always have Wimbledon and golf, but now we got the World Cup and a lot of fun stuff coming up in the month of July, which isn't always the case. Sometimes July can be a little bit of a drag, but this time around, I feel like there's some really cool events on the horizon, and we will definitely be back to talk about them here on What Are You Talking About? Because we'll be back next week with more chat. Certainly, wrap up the Women's World Cup. Probably talk more about Wimbledon and where the dominoes fall in the NBA. So. Plenty to talk about coming up on the horizon here, but thank you all for your continued support. Be sure to check out Bob's awesome blog on Jalen Rose and his comparisons for the NBA draft because <laughs> he found some uncut ones, some that didn't make the cut. And yeah, they're, uh, they're just too the out there for <laughs> too out there for Jalen to drop on air. So, <laughs> so uh, definitely give that a read. Please follow us on Twitter, Fenley RD Sports. Please follow us on Instagram, Fenley Road Sports, and please check out the website. We will bring more blogs and more podcasts to you. And, of course, if you enjoy our podcast, what are you talking about? Subscribe via iTunes. We certainly continue to appreciate your support, and we'll be back next week. All right. I'll talk to you soon, Chris. All right, man. Take it easy, Bob.